Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Shot fired! Shot fired! As a result of the wounds inflicted by AR-15-style rifles, the weapons used in the worst of recent mass shootings... Doctors, first responders, civilians, and children are now being trained to use something called a bleeding kit, an idea that comes from saving Americans on the battlefield. You believe that these mass casualty events have become so common that it is important for everyone in this country to be prepared. Everyone. That's where we are in America. That's where we are. We have to do something to make sure that the legacy of those people in that cargo hold never, ever is forgotten. For 160 years, this muddy stretch of the Mobile River has covered up a crime. In July 1860, the Clotilda was towed here under cover of darkness, imprisoned in its cramped cargo hold, 110 enslaved Africans. Shown our guns, zero pressure, good to drop. That's it right there? Yes. Oh, you can see it totally clearly. I mean, that's the ship. Yes. Simone Biles was expected to be the star of the Olympics last summer. Then COVID hit. The games were postponed. Biles was crushed. I just sat there and I was like, I really don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, another year out. It's like, how do you push back for another year? We were with her in the fall as she got back to the grind. Biles was working on something that turned our heads something that seemed to defy gravity and good sense. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? 
isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The mass shooting this past April at an Indianapolis FedEx facility has something in common with the deadliest massacres, the AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Variations of the AR-15 were used to kill at a Boulder, Colorado supermarket, a Pittsburgh synagogue, Texas church, a Las Vegas concert, a high school in Florida, and Sandy Hook Elementary School. The AR-15 is the most popular rifle in America. There are over 19 million, and they are rarely used in crime. Handguns kill far more people. But as we first reported in 2018, the AR-15 is the choice of our worst mass murderers. AR-15 ammunition travels three times the speed of sound. And tonight, we're going to slow that down so you can see why the AR-15's high-velocity ammo is the fear of every American emergency room. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Mass shootings were once so shocking. Where the f*** is this coming from? They were impossible to forget. We have an after shooter inside the fairground. Now they've become so frequent. It's hard to remember them all. There's people here. There's people. They're all believing they're gonna die. Oh my God! In October 2018, at a Pittsburgh synagogue, 11 were killed, six wounded. Just 11 months before, it was a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Assistant Fire Chief Rusty Duncan was among the first to arrive. 90% of the people in there were unrecognizable. Uh, you know, the, the blood everywhere, I mean, it just covered them from head to toe. They were shot in so many different places that you just couldn't make out who they were. The church is now a memorial to the 26 who were murdered. I've never had the experience, not with any kind of weapon like this. For me to see the damage that it did was unbelievable. It was shattering concrete. I can, you know, you can only imagine what it does to a human body. The police estimate that he fired about 450 rounds. Oh, I believe it. I saw the damage it did. I saw all the holes in the church from one side to the other. All the pews, the concrete, the carpet. I saw it all. A gunshot wound is potentially fatal no matter what kind of ammunition is used. But Cynthia Burr showed us the difference in an AR-15 round against gelatin targets in her ballistics lab at the University of Southern California. Years of research have gone into kind of what the makeup should be of this ordinance gelatin to really represent what damage you would see in your soft tissues. So this is a pretty accurate representation of what would happen to a human being. Yeah, this is currently considered the kind of the state of the art. This is a nine millimeter bullet from a handgun 
which we captured in slow motion. The handgun bullet traveled about 800 miles an hour. It sliced nearly straight all the way through the gel. This one's going to be a little bit louder. Now, look at the AR-15 round. Mm. See the difference? Yes. <laughs> it's three times faster and struck with more than twice the force. The shockwave of the AR-15 bullet blasted a large cavity in the gel, unlike the bullet from the handgun. Wow, there's an uh, enormous difference. You can see yeah, right away. Exactly. There's fragments in here. There's kind of took a curve and came out. You can see a much larger area in terms of the fractures that are inside. Now watch from above. On top, the handgun. At bottom, the AR-15. It's just exploded. It's exploded and the... it's tumbling. So what happens is the, this particular round is designed to tumble and break apart. The 9-millimeter handgun round has a larger bullet, but this AR-15 round has more gunpowder, accelerating its velocity. Both the round and the rifle were designed in the 1950s for the military. The result was the M16 for our troops and the AR-15 for civilians. There's going to be a lot more damage to the tissues, both bones, organs, whatever that gets kind of even near this bullet path. The bones aren't going to just break, they're going to shatter. Organs aren't just going to kind of tear or, or have bruises on them. They're going to be, parts of them are going to be destroyed. That fairly describes the wounds suffered by 29-year-old Joanne Ward. At Sutherland Springs Baptist Church, she was shot more than 20 times while covering her children. Ward was dead, her daughters mortally wounded, as Assistant Fire Chief Rusty Duncan made his way from the back of the sanctuary. As I got a couple rows up, um, Ryland's hand reached out from under his stepmom and grabbed my pant leg. I wouldn't even know he was alive until he did that. I didn't even see him under her. Well, that's where me and him made eye contact for the first time. Joanne Ward's five-year-old stepson, Ryland Ward, was hit five times and was nearly gone when he reached trauma surgeon Lillian Liao at San Antonio's University Hospital. How much of Ryland's blood do you think was lost before he came to you? At least half. This is Ryland's ER x-ray. Yes, you see the two uh, bullet fragments that are in him. The x-ray shows you the solid fragments of the shrapnel and the bullets, but it doesn't tell you much about the damage to the soft tissue. No, and it doesn't tell you what's on the inside. I mean, a bomb went off on the inside, and our job is to go in there and clean it up. A bomb went off on the inside because of the shock wave from Correct. these high-velocity rounds. Correct. Ryland endured 24 surgeries to repair his arm, leg, pelvis, intestines, kidney, bladder, and hip. At some point, it's like putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. What do you um, mean? Well, his organs are now in different pieces, and you have to reconstruct them. The arm was missing soft tissue, skin, uh, muscle, and uh, part of the nerves were damaged. The bowel has to be put back together. Some of the areas of injury has to heal itself. So you can see that he can walk around like a normal child um, and behave as normal as possible. With the AR-15, it's not just the speed of the bullet, but also how quickly hundreds of bullets can be fired. 
The AR-15 is not a fully automatic machine gun. It fires only one round with each pull of the trigger. But in Las Vegas, it sounded like a machine gun. That's the AR. Go, 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 come on. A special add-on device called a bump stock allowed the killer to pull the trigger rapidly enough to kill 58 and wound 489. Let's go! Come to me, hands up! In other mass killings, the AR-15 was fired without a bump stock, but even then, it can fire about 60 rounds a minute. <laughs> Ammunition magazines that hold up to 100 rounds can be changed in about five seconds. I remember hearing the gunshots go off and being so nervous and scared, and all of a sudden I felt something hit me. You'd been shot how many times? Four times. How many surgeries? Three. I, for my arm, my stomach, and my ribs and lung. In February of 2018, 17-year-old Maddie Wilford was at school, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, in Parkland, Florida. <laughs> 17 were murdered, 17 wounded. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's no way, like, not me, please, not me. I don't want to go yet. Her uh, vital signs were almost non-existent. She looked like all the blood had uh, gone out of her body. She was in a state of deep shock. Paramedic Laz Ojeda saved Maddie Wilford in part because Broward County EMS recently equipped itself for the battlefield wounds that the AR-15 inflicts. We carry active uh, killer kits in our, uh, in our rescues. Active killer kits? Yes. What is that? That is a kit that has uh, five tourniquets, five uh, decompression needles, five uh, hemostatic agents, five uh, emergency trauma dressings. Dr. Peter Antevi, Broward County Medical Director, told us today's wounds demand a new kind of training. If I take you through one of our ambulances or take you through our protocols, almost everything we do is based on what the military has taught us. We never used to carry tourniquets. We never used to carry chest seals. These are things that were done in the military for many, many years. When did all of that change? It really changed, I think, after Sandy Hook. After Sandy Hook Elementary School, where 21st graders and six educators were killed with AR-15 rounds, a campaign called Stop the Bleed began nationwide. Good, really tight. And Tevi and doctors including Lillian Liao in San Antonio Make this tight. are training civilians who are truly the first responders. There have been more than 88,000 classes in six years. You have to go the second round to actually stop the bleeding here. Does it hurt? Yeah, yeah her face, you, you can undo it now. <laughs> the day after the shooting, my kids are waking up and they're time to go to school. And uh, my son heard, he kind of heard what, what had happened the night before when I was on the scene. And he looked at me with the fear of God that he had to go to school that day. My first instinct was he needs a bleeding kit. My son today has a bleeding kit on his person. How old is he? 12 years old. Here it is. This is it. We, 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 I've given him this, and I taught him how to use it. You believe that these mass casualty events have become so common Absolutely. that 
It is important for everyone in this country to be prepared. Everyone. That's where we are in America today. That's where we are. Ryland Ward survived the church massacre because firefighter Rusty Duncan used his belt as a tourniquet. Look where you're going. For over a year, Ryland worked often six days a week. Slow but controlled. Learning to sit. All right, we're loosening up all your muscles. Stand and walk again. Okay. You're very strong. You're very strong. Let's see if this actually goes in the hospital. Yep. Did you meet some new people in the hospital? You were there for a long time. How do you know? They told me. I talked to some of the people who helped you. Like who? There was uh, Dr. Lau. Dr. Lau, yes. Oh, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, how's your arm? Good. Let me see. He has his strength back. It's remarkable, really. But healing from the loss of his stepmother and sisters won't be as quick. How's your day? Maddie Wilford is also moving forward. Like many who suffer physical trauma, her interests have turned to medicine. And an internship. Maddie, Where she's studying the kind of surgeries that saved her. Not long ago, many communities assumed mass murder would never come to them. Where's she hit? Where's she hit? Where's she hit? What's wrong with that door right there? Today, all Americans are being asked to prepare for the grievous wounds. Oh my God! Of high-velocity rounds. Since our story first aired in 2018, Ryland Ward, now nine years old has had several more surgeries to remove shrapnel from his arm and to treat ongoing heart, stomach, and kidney problems. Parkland student Maddie Wilford is in her second year of college, majoring in biology and on track for med school. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Three years ago, a sunken ship was found in the bottom of an Alabama river. It turned out to be the long-lost wreck of the Clotilda, the last slave ship known to have brought captured Africans to America in 1860. At least 12 million Africans were shipped to the Americas in the more than 350 years of the transatlantic slave trade. But as we first reported in November, the journey of the 110 captive men, women, and children brought to Alabama on the Clotilda is one of the best documented slave voyages in history. The names of those enslaved Africans and their story has been passed down through the generations by their descendants, some of whom still live just a few miles from where the ship was found in a community called Africatown. For 160 years, this muddy stretch of the Mobile River has covered up a crime. In July 1860, the Clotilda was towed here under cover of darkness. 
imprisoned in its cramped cargo hold 110 enslaved Africans. I just imagine myself being on that ship, just listening to the waves and the waters and just not knowing where you were going. Joycelyn Davis, Lorna Gale Woods, and Thomas Griffin are direct descendants of this African man, Oluwale. Enslaved in Alabama, his owner changed his name to Charlie Lewis. This image is from around 1900. Poli Allen, whose African name was Capoli, seen in this 100-year-old sketch, was the ancestor of Jeremy Ellis and Darren Patterson. No clothes, eating where they defecated, only allowed out of the cargo hold for one day a week for two months. How many people do, you, do we know now that could have survived something like that without losing their mind? There are no photographs of Pat Frazier's great-great-grandmother, Lottie Dennison. But Capricia Wallace and her mother, Cassandra, have a surprising number of pictures of their ancestor, Kazula, whose owner called him Kajo Lewis. What does it feel like to be able to know where you come from, to know the person who came here first? It's empowering, very. Like, growing up, my mom made sure she told me all the stories that her dad told her about Kajo. Cassandra, that was important to you. Very important. To pass that knowledge along. My dad set us down, and he would make us repeat Kazulu, Katilda, uh, mm. Kajo Lewis. It has historical uh, importance as well as a story that needs to be told. The story of the Clotilda began in 1860 when Timothy Mayer, a wealthy businessman, hired Captain William Foster to illegally smuggle a shipload of captive Africans from the Kingdom of Dahomey in West Africa to Mobile, Alabama. Slavery was still legal in the southern United States, but importing new slaves into America had been outlawed in 1808. In his journal, Captain Foster described purchasing the captives using $9,000 in gold and merchandise. As this replica shows, the enslaved Africans were locked naked in the cargo hold of the Clotilda for two sickening months. When they arrived in Mobile, they were handed over to Timothy Mayer and several others. Captain Foster claimed he then burned and sank the Clotilda, but exactly where remained a mystery. Until 2018, when a local reporter... Ben Rains found the Clotilda in about 20 feet of water not far from Mobile. He'd been searching for seven months, following clues in Captain Foster's journal. The exact location hasn't been made public for fear someone might vandalize the ship. But last year, the Alabama Historical Commission gave maritime archaeologist James Delgado, who helped verify the wreck, permission to take us there. So the Clotilda came up this way? Straight up here practically in a straight line after they dropped off the people. And then on one side of the bank, set her on fire and sank her. So he was trying to destroy evidence of a crime? Yes. The bow of the Clotilda is not far from the surface, but the water's so muddy, the only way to see it is with this sonar device. Sonar's on, zero pressure, good to drop. So we're almost over now. Yeah, okay. we're coming right up on it. So that's the, the bow right there. That's, that's it right there? Right yes. The bow, yep. Oh, you can see it like that? Yeah. Wow, you can see it totally clearly. I mean, that's the ship. Yes. Yeah. That's Clotilde. On sonar, the bow is clearly defined, as are both sides of the hull. The ship is 86 feet long, but the back of it, the stern, is buried deep in mud. Those two horizontal lines are likely the walls of the cargo hold, where the enslaved Africans had been packed tightly together on the voyage from West Africa.
So the hole where people were held, how big was that? In terms of where people could actually fit five feet by about 20 feet. Wait a minute, it was only five feet high? So people could barely stand up in this hole? Yes. Diving on the wreck is difficult. Underwater, there's zero visibility. You can't even see the ship. Delgado's team has only felt it with their hands. They call it archaeology by Braille. This is the only image our camera could pick up, a plank of wood covered with what looks like barnacles. Delgado and state archaeologist Stacy Hathorne showed us some of the artifacts they retrieved. This plank of wood is likely from the hull of the ship, and this iron bolt with wood attached shows evidence of fire damage. You don't see the grain of the wood. It basically makes a briquette. So this is evidence clearly of that they tried to burn the ship? Yes. Yes. The enslaved Africans were taken off the ship before it sank, but Delgado says there could still be DNA from some of them in the wreck. You will find human hair. You can find nail clippings. Somebody may have lost it too. You could still find human hair in the wreck of the Clotilda? Yes. The state of Alabama has set aside a million dollars for further excavation to determine if the Clotilda can ever be raised from the riverbed. The ship may be too damaged or the effort too expensive. I think what's extremely important for folks to understand is that, that there was a concerted effort to hide these things that were done. Mary Elliott oversees the collection of slavery artifacts at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. It's important that we found the remnants of this ship because it, for African Americans, it's their piece of the true cross, their touchstone to say, we've been telling you for years, and here's the proof. Remarkably, many of the descendants still live just a few miles from where the Clotilda was discovered. This is Africatown, founded around 1868, three years after emancipation by 30 of the Africans brought on the Clotilda. Joycelyn Davis has organized festivals to honor Africatown's founders, one of whom was her great-great-great-grandfather, Charlie Lewis. Last year, she took us to the street he lived on called Lewis Quarters. So pretty much everyone on this street can, can trace their lineage back yes, to Charlie Lewis? Yes, everyone here is related. Wow. Yeah. Lewis and some of the others got jobs at a nearby sawmill owned by Timothy Mayer, the same man responsible for enslaving them. I mean, they worked for like a dollar a day until they saved up their money to buy land. Kudjo Lewis also worked at the Mayor's sawmill. This rare film shows him in 1928. By then, he was in his 80s and one of the Clotilda's last living survivors. He helped found this church in Africa Town, the same church his descendants still attend today. After emancipation, it seems so unlikely that a group of freed slaves could pool their resources and build a community. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing. There's this thing we say about making a way out of no way. Making a way out of no way. When these folks were forced over here from the continent of Africa, they didn't come with empty heads. Mm. They came with empty hands. So they found a way to make a way, and they relied on each other, and they were resilient. Africatown is the only surviving community in America founded by Africans, and over the decades, it prospered. There was a business district, the first black school in Mobile, and by the 1960s, 12,000 people lived here. They built the 
city within a city. Mm -hmm. And that's what we can be proud of. We had a gas station. Yep. We had a grocery store, Grid post office, post office. Yep. all that was a booming area right. of Black-owned business. But today, those Black-owned businesses are gone. An interstate highway was built through the middle of Africatown in the early 1990s. And the small clusters of remaining homes are surrounded by factories and chemical plants. Fewer than 2,000 people still live here. The Smithsonian's Mary Elliott took us to Africatown Cemetery, where some of the Clotilda's survivors and generations of their descendants are buried. No matter where you go in Africatown, you can hear factories and industry and the highway. There is this constant buzz here. It's a buzz you hear all the time, day and night. And it's a constant reminder of the breakup of this community. The descendants we spoke with hope the discovery of the Clotilda will lead to the revitalization of Africatown. And they'd like the descendants of Timothy Mayer, the man who enslaved their ancestors, to get involved. According to tax records, Mayer's descendants still own an estimated 14% of the land in historic Africatown. Their name is on nearby street signs and property markers. Court filings indicate their real estate and timber businesses are worth an estimated $36 million. But so far, the descendants we spoke with say no one from the Mayer family has been willing to meet. I don't think it's something that people want to remember. Because they have to acknowledge that they benefit from it today. That yeah. they benefited. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That they benefited. And they don't want to take People don't want to look back. And acknowledge, it. acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. That's how mm -hmm. part of that wealth was derived, and Big that part. on the backs of those people. What would you want to say to them? I mean, if if they were willing to sit down and have you know have a coffee with? We would first need to acknowledge what was done in the past, yeah. and then there's an accountability piece yes. that your family for for this many years, five years, owned my ancestors, and then the third piece would be how do we partner together with in Africa town. I don't want to receive anything personal. Right. However, there's a need for a lot of development in that community. We reached out to four members of the mayor family, all either declined or didn't respond to our request for an interview. One man who did want to meet the descendants is Mike Foster. He's a 74-year-old Air Force veteran from Montana. While researching his genealogy, Mike Foster discovered he's the distant cousin of William Foster, the captain of the Clotilda. Had you ever heard of the last slave ship? No. No. What did you think when you heard it? Uh, I wasn't happy about it. It was, uh, it was very distressing. Do you feel uh, some guilt? No, I didn't feel any guilt. I didn't do it. But I could apologize for it. And last year, before the pandemic, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, over 160 years have passed, and we finally... 160 years. Yes. This is a powerful moment. This is a powerful moment. So I'm here to say I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In an effort to attract tourism to Africatown, the state of Alabama plans to build a welcome center here. The descendants we spoke with hope more can be done to restore and rebuild this historic black community and honor the African men and women who founded it. 
So I always think, my God, such strong people, so capable, yeah. mm -hmm. achieved so much and started with so little. We have to do something to make sure that the legacy of those people in that cargo hold never, ever is forgotten because they are the reason that we're even here. Since our story first aired, the city of Mobile has broken ground on a museum in Africa town that will open to the public in the fall. Simone Biles is one of the most dominant athletes in the world. If that sounds like hyperbole, just listen to this. She hasn't lost a gymnastics all-around competition in eight years. And in a sport where the top contenders are usually separated by mere decimal points, she wins by whole numbers. She also owns the most Olympic and World Championship gold medals combined of any gymnast in history. As we first reported in February, Biles had hoped to crown her career with more Olympic golds last summer and then retire. But when the pandemic postponed the Tokyo Olympics until this July, Biles reluctantly decided to train for another year. If, like most Americans, you only watch gymnastics once every four years during the Olympics, here's a glimpse of what you've missed. At the 2019 World Championships in Germany, four foot eight Simone Biles stretched the laws of physics. I thought I had already maxed out on all the events, so to see what I could do kind of blew my mind. You still surprise yourself? Yeah, sometimes I still surprise myself. Like I just did that? <laughs> yes, all the time. Biles has made a career out of surprising people. She was the first woman to do this move on the floor, this on the vault, and this on the beam. All of these moves are now named after her. In March 2020, she was ready to push the sport even further. He's better. As the Tokyo Olympics approached, a documentary team from Facebook followed Biles, who says she was at her peak and better than ever. She was expected to be the star of the Olympics. Then COVID hit. The games were postponed. Biles says she was crushed. I just sat there and I was like, I really don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, another year out, I don't think it's possible for me at this point mentally. Not physically, yeah. but mentally. Pushing through those trainings when I had in my mind, in three months I'll be done. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you push back for another year? Her 50,000 square foot gym in Texas shut down. Biles said she became depressed, slept constantly, and wanted to quit. We ended up taking seven weeks off. Had you ever had seven weeks off since you were a little girl? No, never in my life. How did you change your mind? It took a little bit of time, but then I talked to my coaches, and um, Cecile especially was like, you know what, Simone, you've trained so hard for this. Why would you give it up? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, I didn't come this far to only come this far. We were with her in the fall as she got back to the grind. By committing to 6 a.m. wake-up calls to start six hours of training six days a week, Biles knew she was taking a risk. There's no guarantee the Olympics will take place this summer. Tokyo is under a state of emergency, and hosting 11,000 athletes from 200 countries in a pandemic is daunting. Then there's Biles' age. Female gymnasts typically peak as teenagers. Biles is 23. The way she bounds into the air and pounds onto the mat, the threat of an injury is always lurking. 
as you are back in the gym pushing it every day, mm-hmm. do you worry about your physical health? Sometimes I do, but I just know that I need to do more therapy and take better care of my body just because I'm older. Because you're the ripe age of 23. Yes. <laughs> Which in a gymnast is like what? like Ancient. Ancient. <laughs> Pretty old. What do you do to get ready to train twice a day? Get up, go, roll out, stretch before we stretch because I'm that old. <laughs> but you stretch before you stretch. <laughs> stretch before I stretch. Simone Biles could win at this summer's Olympics if she relied on her old skills. But she has other plans that seem to defy gravity and good sense. At her gym, we found Biles working on something that turned our heads. It's called a Yurchenko double pike. Difficult name, difficult move. It's very, very challenging. And what's scary is that people can get hurt. You know, you do a short landing, you can hurt your ankles, and then you know, it's, it's a very dangerous vault. Biles' new coaches, the French husband and wife team of Laurent and Cécile Landy, say Biles may attempt this double pike at the Olympics. Only men have landed it. How do you make the decision not to just play it safe? I think it will become very, very boring for everybody. I think she's opened the eyes to everybody that this can be done when I think a lot of people believe that a female could not do it. The Landys say Biles is built perfectly for the sport. First, she has explosive speed. There's so much power in a run, she can fit in more skills and pile up more points. Launching herself twice the height of her frame, it looks like a blur. But slow down the video and you can appreciate the control. One, two, three twists with a double backflip. And her coaches say she was born with another skill that's hard to teach, air awareness. Air awareness is knowing where you are in the air. Um, Most of the time, honestly, I think my eyes go shut. Oh, really? It just feels like the room is spinning. Like if you take a globe and you spin it, it goes so fast. I really don't crash that much um, or like ever. No one ever dreamed Biles would reach such great heights when she was a small child in Columbus, Ohio living with a single mother who was struggling with addiction. I remember we didn't really have a lot of food. We were always hungry. And we went to, like, my Uncle Danny's house, and they gave us cereal, but we didn't have any milk, couldn't afford milk, so we just put water in it. And he was like, look, it's the same thing. And we were like, no, it's not, but okay, nice try. Social services took Simone and her siblings away from their mother and placed them in foster care. Simone's maternal grandfather, Ron Biles, and his wife, Nellie, were living outside Houston at the time. I got a call from the social worker. said the kids were in foster care. I wasn't aware that it was that bad. I mean, just the thought of them being in foster care, it just sounded so bad. And, and at that time, we, we had the ability to, to take care of them. So said no to me. Simone and her sister Adria were eventually adopted by their grandpa Ron and grandma Nellie. They were like, you guys can call us mom and dad if you want. And I remember going upstairs and practicing and then ran down and I was like, mom, dad. I mean, you hit the lottery with these two, right? Yeah, I did. You did. I was very blessed. Seeing Simone somersaulting around their living room, her new parents put her in gymnastics out of self-preservation. Simone was tiny and a little wobbly at first, but she was fearless. 
By the time she was 16, she won the all-around title at her first world championships in 2013. She hasn't lost since. Biles also brought a love of fun to U.S. gymnastics. But for years, her big personality didn't mesh with legendary but austere Olympic coach Marta Caroli. Once a month, Biles had to go to a national training camp at the Caroli Ranch, a secluded compound north of Houston, where Marta demanded obedience. You said she wasn't a fan of you being Simone. Yeah. She was not a fan of me just being myself because she had never dealt with somebody that didn't listen to her straight off the bat. And that kind of... Were you the problem child? I guess so. I definitely opened a lot of other athletes' eyes. And while we were there, they realized, like, they can talk on the side. We can laugh. We can enjoy gymnastics and be good at it. Because I think that was the misconception was you couldn't be fun, have a personality, and be good. You could only be good, and that's it. Biles did something unthinkable in women's gymnastics. In a sport obsessed with weight, she posted photos of herself with food. During training camps at the Caroli Ranch, eating was monitored and rationed. Granted, now I feel like we can't really get in trouble for this. Um, but, like, there would have been nights where we would, like, break into the cafeteria and go get food. Because you were hungry. I've never told that to anybody, like, on film or anything. But there would be nights where we're, like, running with a hoodie up and we would break into the cafeteria to eat. What does that tell you? Now you're an adult and you can look at that. What does that say to you? It's not the right training. Biles did go on to win four gold medals under Caroli at the 2016 Rio Olympics. But while Biles was taking a victory lap around America, the Indianapolis Star newspaper exposed the darkest secret in gymnastics. Dr. Larry Nasser, the longtime USA gymnastics physician, was accused of sexually abusing gymnasts, some of them at the Caroli Ranch. Initially, Biles remained silent, even with her mother, Nellie. I would ask her explicitly about touching, an inappropriate touching, and if that ever happened to her. She would deny it, and then she would want to leave the room. The stuff with Larry Nasser, your mom has said you didn't want to talk about it at home. Oh, my God, no. Why not? Because it was so hard for me to even say out loud that... I knew how hard, like, it crushed me. It would crush my parents, and I didn't want them to feel the same pain that I felt because it was very dark times. Two of Simone's Olympic teammates were among the dozens of women who publicly disclosed that Nasser had abused them. In January 2018, on the eve of Nasser's sentencing hearing, Biles was ready to admit she, too, had been a victim. She was crying, and she said, Mom, I have to talk to you. And I know Simone well. And I knew, I knew what that conversation was going to be. We just cried and cried. She didn't say anything. We just cried because I knew. That was the moment. I knew that was the moment. Simone sent out a tweet revealing that Nasser had abused her. Three days later, USA Gymnastics shut down the Caroli Ranch. Marta and Bella Caroli maintain they didn't know about the abuse. Larry Nasser was sentenced to as many as 175 years in prison. A lot of people see Larry Nasser has been sentenced and think this is over. Oh, it's far from over. There's still 
a lot of questions that still need to be answered. And what questions do you want answered? Just who knew what when? You guys have failed so many athletes, and most of us underage, you guys don't think that's a bigger problem? Like, if that were me and I knew something, I'd want it resolved immediately. Biles believes there's been little accountability at USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic Committee and wants an independent investigation into what happened. You've said that they failed so many young women. Do you feel like they failed you as well? 100%. We bring the medals. We do our part. You can't do your part in return. It's just like, it's sickening. The way that USA Gymnastics is right now, if you had a daughter in a couple of years, would you want her to be part of that system? No, because I don't feel comfortable enough because they haven't taken accountability for their actions and what they've done. And they haven't ensured us that it's never going to happen again. In a statement to 60 Minutes, the new president and CEO of USA Gymnastics said, We recognize how deeply we have broken the trust of our athletes and community and are working hard to build that trust back. As the Tokyo Olympics draw closer, no one may be working harder than Simone Biles. She's the only athlete affected by the scandal who is still active. She's carrying American gymnastics on her sculpted shoulders. But this time, she told us, she's competing for herself. Talk to anybody in the sport. Nobody agrees on anything, but they all agree you're the greatest. Greatest that's <laughs> ever been, greatest that will be. So why go back and put yourself through all this agony again yeah. for another year? Because I had fun. But now I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> so I feel like I want to see how much I'm capable of. And people always question, like, if you're so good and you're so ahead of the game, why do you keep upgrading? And it's like, because it's for me. And because and you can. Yeah, and, and I can. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.